Chapter Fourteen of Outlaws of Ravenhurst by Sister Emma Melda Wallace, S.L. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Glory of the Bitter End. Days dragged themselves into weeks and months. One by one, the clansmen and the household came back from prison or from their hiding places. Life went on almost as before, save for the constant worry over the old Earl and the Lady Isabel the mother of james and roger at last in may a carriage swung round the shoulder of ben ender on the old road from the outer world to the little world sheltered behind the rampart of the mountain a bit of white fluttered from the window it is mother oh i know it is cried james then the castle bell pealed joyously down to the great gate ran the three children the old keeper's hand trembled so for very gladness that he could scarcely let down the drawbridge. At last down it came with a jolt and a clang, and the carriage rolled in. James had the door open before the footman could reach it. "'Oh, mother, how well you look!' he cried as he helped her down. "'I never saw your cheeks so red.' "'God bless you, my son,' she whispered as her hot lips touched his forehead. "'Where is Roger?' ah oh, my dear little ones of douglas she stooped to kiss margaret and stephen but turned away coughing and they knew that she was in pain come inside mother said jamie anxiously the wind is blowing you have a cold haven't you yes dear she said with strange gentleness jamie kept close beside her all afternoon he was troubled he had a fire lighted in the grate, although it was a warm day, and brought a little shawl to put about her shoulders. At last Lady Isabel sent them all out while she spoke with the steward. Then James went straight to Benson. "'Mother is sick,' he said. "'I mean, she's very sick, isn't she?' The good nurse turned away. There were tears in her kind eyes. "'The damp o' the dungeon,' Oh, I knew it, my lambs, I knew it. Can she ever get well? I think she be nigh the gates that made o' pearl. But play the man, my little there, Jamie. The more cheery we keep her, the longer she'll bide with us. Before the last June roses were in bloom in the castle yard, James and Roger were motherless. News came now and then from Sir Angus, in one of Lord Russell's dungeon cells he was awaiting his trial. At last the House of Lords sat upon the case. They found him guilty. Of what? All his life the Earl of Ravenhurst had been a traitor. That was why his lands had been given to the loyal Henry of Russell. It was but owing to the extreme clemency of His Majesty, King James, that Sir Angus had not been beheaded long before. Now his most treasonable conduct had become more than the patience of so mild a monarch could endure. He had harbored, ay, harbored with direct will to displease the king, knowingly and with full consent within his own castle, had harbored an outlaw and a cursed Catholic friar. He had permitted, nay, ordered to be celebrated, the foul and abominable sacrifice of the mass. He had drawn the sword against the king's dragoons, and had slain twelve of them with his own hand. No one spoke of the honour due the twelve bold warriors, that let one old man lay them around his feet, like sproutings clipped from a hedgerow. 
In truth, the Earl of Ravenhurst was guilty of death. He deserved to be drawn and quartered like a common villain. But, in consideration of his great age and the loyal deeds of his father, Langsword, King James would be satisfied that he be merely beheaded, the sentence to be executed upon the popish feast of Our Lady in Harvest. Sir Edward Gordon, an old knight, whom the Lady Isabel had appointed the guardian of the four noble orphans, said that they should go to see the execution. Others said no, such sights were not for children. They were too young, and would never be able to forget the awful spectacle. Forget it? No, cried Sir Edward. I want them never to forget it. They are the children of martyrs. They must stand for the faith, though it cost them their lives. Ay, sirs, let them see a martyr win the palm. Let them see and never forget it. The stern Scot had his way. The four children rode with him. On the way he spoke to them of the glory of dying for God and for native land. Roger listened eagerly. He seemed to think some great honor would be shown him as a martyr's kinsman. A base nature cannot understand the kind of glory of which Sir Edward spoke. As they drew near the throng that gathers at such a time, a man turned his head and nudged his companion. The other laughed. Yes, I see, Ravenhurst Crest, the traitor's family, no doubt. Not so much as one retainer with them. They are in beggarly poverty, you know. Ay, and so it should be. The speaker was the mighty, broad-shouldered Scot of the Covenant. Root and branch, out with all idolaters, he shouted. Now, my father, boasted the first speaker, he was always telling us about the doings of his grandfather that was at the burning o' the convent i the wood. Ay, that was the Luton worth going to. The Catholic had nothing now, but in those days they were grand and fine, silver and rubies, silks and cloth o' gold, a pile like a haycock. That was for the great folk, Laird Russell, the fine gentleman, and Queen Bess down in England, and all that. But the poor common soldier did not come off with nothing. My grandfather had the smashing o' the big windows with the virgin on it. Twas give to the lazy friars by King James that's laying dead. A barrel full o' fine lead my grandfather got oot o' that same. But tis not good sighting the hounds on Catholics now. They all be as poor as field mice in famine year. Keep still whispered Sir Edward, noting the flush of anger that rose on the faces of the children. We are the kinsmen of a martyr. We must share his glory with him. Poverty and shame the dear Christ bore. Keep that before your eyes and be brave. Make room, called a brutal voice. Here be the fine Catholic nobles. Give place. Let them see the old fool pass. The crowd opened, and Sir Edward's party pressed close to the roadway down which the Earl must pass. Roger let his horse slip behind his brothers as they moved forward. James saw him crawling from the saddle. "'Where are you going?' he asked. "'I will not be called a traitor's child,' Roger muttered. "'They are pointing at us.' "'You are not ashamed of Grandfather, are you?' whispered James. Don't be a coward this time. Words can't hurt when we know they are not true. But Roger had slipped from his horse and mingled with the crowd. A coarse fellow jostled against James, then bowed in mock apology. Be throwing your bonnets in the air, lads, he shouted. Mates, this young gentleman will be Earl o' the Raven's Roost before he's now or older. 
Hold your tongue, bully, called the great Scot of the Covenant, shouldering his way toward the speaker. Leave the poor baron in peace. Sorrow enough he has afore him. But mind ye, lad, let the old Earl's death be a lesson to ye. When ye be top at Ravenhurst, give good riddance to Catholics. James flushed. Then suddenly he turned. His child's voice had in it the ring of a man's determination. When I am Earl, I shall take up the battle where my grandfather lays it down. A jeer rose from the crowd, but in the eyes of the Scot there was admiration, and Margaret leaned toward the lad and whispered, her eyes bright with pity and pride, No cause is dead while true hearts live. Quick gratitude shone in Jamie's glance. Ay, little comrade at arms, he said. But the words were not heard by the crowd. A sound floated toward them. Heads were craned and brutal jests broke forth. Then into sight came the prison cart, and standing in it, butt of ridicule, sport of the mob, was Angus Gordon. The dungeon had shattered the Langsword's son. He could scarcely hold himself erect in the jolting cart, but erect he was, and a soldier still. The old man seemed but the more beautiful for the marks of the dungeon upon him. He was looking straight at the crowd, a joyful smile was on his lips. The noise died. The mighty Scot of the Covenant turned menacingly toward the fellow who seemed to be the leader of the jurors. "'You can hold your jibing tongue,' he roared. "'Na doot. Russell pay ye will to stir up the mob, but chew your cut on this. I'll pay ye with my fist, if ye do.' Then, turning to the crowd, he spoke his mind like an honest Scot. "'Ye all know me. I be no Roman Catholic body. I have fought the abomination to a Rome of four, and will again. But, mates, I fight a man's battle. I would not be one o' a pack o' hounds besetting a lone sheep, or one o' a mob o' cowards jeering an old dungeon-broken man. There was a change on those wild faces, for the will of a mob is the will of the wind. Sir Edward's party moved forward, and a whisper went through the throng. Give place, let them pass, they are the old earl's kinsmen. There was pity in the tone, and the crowd followed in silence, perhaps thinking over their own wrongs. Many among them were covenanters. They were men who had suffered from the cruelty of the king almost as greatly as had the Catholics. The cart rattled up to the scaffold. As it stopped, a dozen hands went out to help the old earl down. Lord Russell, who stood on the platform, seemed a trifle uneasy. He whispered a moment to a knight beside him. Then came a curt order. The soldiers drove the crowd back from the foot of the scaffold. A muttering rose from the mob. They began to move as if to join a second throng that was coming up the road from the opposite direction. Another whispered consultation between Russell and his aides. The action of the covenanters seemed puzzling to them. A troop of cavalry was swiftly placed between the two crowds. Well planned, Sir Henry of Russell muttered sir edward that second throng are from the ravenhurst lands they hate their new master as they love the old they have never had the courage to join the outlaws of benender but will they stand tamely and see angus gordon die the knight's eye flashed with quick fire ho oh, my bairns we may save him yet the covenanters are now more for the earl than against him sir edward's trained eye ran over the field 
Then he shook his head. Six hundred men, I take it. Weapons? Sticks, stones, a few swords. The other side? Two hundred horse, three hundred foot, well armed. No, my children, it would be folly, a sheer waste of life. We could never reach the scaffold. Angus Gordon stepped out beside the block. He raised his hand as if about to speak. A hush fell on the mighty throng. His voice was faint. That voice which in years gone by had rung above the din of battle. It was feeble now and low, yet piercing sweet, like the notes of some far-off bugle. Sir Henry of Russell asks what I wish to say in answer to the charge of treason which now stains my knightly honor. There are stains that tell of shame, and there are stains that speak of glory. When they brought the standard back from Flodden Field, there was a stain upon it, ay, a dark blot upon the fair silken banner from Dunedin. But that stain was the lifeblood of a king. That torn and blood-stained banner is a sacred thing, ay, a sacred thing. Now the faith of the king who fell on Flodden Field is called treason against Scotland. This faith is that stain which lies on my honor as a Scottish knight. This stain is my glory, as it was the glory of those who are no more. Would I were worthy to fall under the banner of the king of kings, worthy of my place in the red-robed army led by Stephen. Thank God for the honor done me, and stand for God and Our Lady till we meet again. My Lord of Russell, I thank you for your courtesy. Sir Angus knelt by the block and laid his white head upon it. Sir Henry turned to the headsman, but the brawny fellow was sobbing like a child. Go find a knave that will do your foul work for you, he said. I'll no have innocent blood on these hands. Russell's face whitened with anger. A sympathetic growl rose from the mob. Alan, said the old earl gently, the sin of this lies on the judge, not upon the executioner. You will be merely doing your duty according to law. Do not bring trouble on yourself through love of me. It may be no sin in the eye of the law. Queer laws they do be having these days. Was it your duty according to law to send a cow to my brother's wife? They were no your tenants more. If the widow and her wee bit bands were starving, what was that to you in the eye of the law? But you sent the cow. It is little I gave them, Alan. Do your work, lad. I shall bear you no ill will, nor will the good God lay this to your charge. Sir Henry is angry. He will make you suffer, my poor fellow. Sir, you gave the best you had, and you gave it with kind words. If there be men in yon crowd, Angus Gordon does no die this day. I set my foot on the scaffold for that. I have given my word to all true clansmen that I am not to kill our chief, but to see to it that he is no killed. Ay, ay, hold to it, Alan. There speaks a Gordon. Came from Strong, the scattered voices in the throng, for the handful of Ben Ender outlaws was sprinkled through the mob. Striker rotten my dungeon, hissed Russell. I'll no have a good man's blood on these hands, retorted the headsman. A roaring applause from the Ravenhurst men. Stand your ground, Alan. You are no alone the day. It was the voice of the big covenanter. The Gordon. The first shot was faint and fearful, but it was caught up on the instant. 
then the old war cry burst like thunder the gordon clan gordon to the rescue the mob surged madly forward catching at anything that might serve as a weapon sticks stones clubs and here and there a sword sir angus rose to his feet and raised his hand there was silence sticks and stones against powder and shot it is folly pure folly you cannot save me do you think i shall die easier for knowing that more gordon wives are widows more gordon orphans wail for bread he knelt again let the axe fall alan tis an easy way to heaven lad the clan will suffer for this attempt to save me let it fall alan let it fall never cried the headsman are you men that you dally so a maddened roar came up from the people and an echo faint solitary yet distinct from somewhere among the soldiers quick or we are lost whispered the knight at russell's elbow the troopers are siding with the mob run a sword through that mutineer howled russell a dozen soldiers sprang upon alan and dragged him from the scaffold there was a sharp struggle alan wrenched himself free and joined the mob yelling the gordon the gordon gordon for god and our lady thundered the mob as the stones began to fly fire on them rang russell's command do you see that roared the knight in sir henry's ear half of them are firing in the air they let alan go quick a headsman or we are lost russell's voice rang above the roaring of the mob a headsman fifty pounds for a headsman one hundred five hundred a stone struck him he dodged back under cover alan was almost at the scaffold again his club crashing to right and left among the soldiery down with them why should we stand for king james russell's a lowlander scots are we all it was the big covenanter at alan's side the two throngs were one at last someone was climbing the ladder russell passed him a purse he clutched it with eager trembling fingers and sprang to the axe his face was turned and the sun shone full upon it the man was bertrand a wild cry from the mob a sudden hush the steel flashed in the morning light and the grand old man was with his god End of chapter 14